Breaking Down Wisconsin Basketball. This is The Swing with Zach Heilprin and Jesse Temple on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Well, Wisconsin's season is done. Badgers lose to Iowa State in the round of 32 of the NCAA tournament in Milwaukee. It was a rough day offensively for the Badgers. They shoot just 22%. Uh, they shoot just two for 22 from beyond the arc. They turned the ball over a season high 17 times. And what was a special season uh, ends on a very low note, Jesse. Everything that could go wrong did go wrong. And obviously, Wisconsin picked the absolute worst time to play its worst game of the season. And it's, it's funny. I, I know you accidentally said that they shot 22% from three. But that would have been incredible, given that they wound up shooting 9.1%. It was, you know, the thing about this team is they hadn't been a good three-point shooting team all season and yet had found ways to win anyway. But when you don't shoot well and you turn the ball over more than you have at any point all season and at any point in the last few years, you have no chance in the NCAA tournament. Nope, you don't. The shooting performance from three was their worst since going two for 26 against New Mexico State early in the 2019-2020 season. And their overall shooting percentage, also the worst of the year and the worst since the Minnesota loss in February of 2020. So it was a horrible time to do it. And yet, as you mentioned, they found ways to overcome it all year. They're shooting from deep. I mean, they ended up shooting 30.7%. Was that? Uh, yeah, I think that's 30.7% from three for the year, which is the second worst ever in school history, only topped by uh, the 1997-98 team uh, that was in uh, the 29% range. So it's a, it's a very, very difficult way to go out. Obviously, the turnovers were an issue all game. It felt like it got ticked up a little bit even more, though, after losing Chucky Hepburn to an ankle injury, not having your starting point guard, a guy who has not turned the ball over a ton this year. Now, he had a couple before he went down, but they were up 22-17 to 17 when he got hurt. Uh, they, I guess uh, Iowa State had just scored a, two bu- uh, a bucket to make it 22-19, to 19, um, but Wisconsin th- that started an 8-0 run, and Wisconsin, I don't think, ever truly, truly recovered from that little run and from Chucky's injury. Oh, frankly, I thought the rest of the team was shell-shocked. Um, and beyond that, they didn't have any true point guard left. Yeah, that they, they, they didn't have a lot of depth all season, and we talked about it on multiple occasions throughout the year about the, the lack of bench production. They needed to rely heavily on the starters. They had done so, and it had gotten the Badgers to earn a share of the Big Ten regular season title. But Chucky was so valuable to this team. Um, it's really amazing what he was able to do to come in as a true freshman given the number of minutes he played and the steadying presence he provided, you saw what happened when he wasn't on the floor. He may not score a ton, but he gets everyone organized. And on top of that, he's an excellent defender. Now, defense obviously didn't end up being the issue for Wisconsin. It was offensively. They were totally discombobulated. Brad Davison had to run the point. You wound up having to use Jacoby Neath for an extended stretch. He played 21 minutes and scored one point. And things were so uh, difficult for Greg Gard that he wound up putting Isaac Lindsay in the game, the, the, the walk-on who had played a total of 11 minutes this season and only five games. The last time he appeared in a game was January 27th against Nebraska for one minute. So that was the situation that Wisconsin was facing. And no matter who guard put on the floor, it didn't matter. They were totally out of sorts. 
How much of that was them and how much of that was Iowa State, do you think? It's both. Iowa State deserves a lot of credit for how it defended Wisconsin. Um, and, and Johnny Davis talked about it after the game as well. And I know we'll get into his performance, um, which was far from his best. But he said they played really good pressure defense and they did a really good job of taking away passing lanes. Now, he also said that he felt like the team straight up missed shots and didn't share the ball the way they were supposed to. But they made it tough. Um, I will acknowledge that Wisconsin had plenty of open three-point looks, and a lot of those shots didn't come anywhere close. Having said that, I thought Iowa State did a great job of doubling the post. You saw when Tyler Wall got the ball, they went after him. If Johnny Davis happened to be in the post, they went after him with two guys, and that flustered Wisconsin, Um, and so they just made things tough. Yeah, it it felt like there for a second that Johnny was going to give Iowa State credit, um, and then he kind of didn't, right? Yeah, he's been blunt his whole career, so he's going to yeah. say what's on his mind. And, and later on, he said, you know, that's the game of basketball. Sh- sometimes shots fall, sometimes he didn't. It was one of those days. Yep. Unfortunately for them, and unfortunately for him, there's been a few more days than you would have liked like that throughout the entire season, and especially of late. Yeah, obviously, Johnny had a fabulous sophomore season and and earned being a first-team All-American, but I I think anybody can acknowledge that down the stretch, it was much tougher for him. Um, Takes a lot of shots, gets a lot of good looks, and a lot of them didn't fall. And you can wonder how much injuries played a role in that performance. He would certainly never use that as an excuse. We obviously know he got hurt against Nebraska and then came back in the Big Ten tournament and and didn't seem himself. But he, he got hot in the second half against Colgate. And so you kind of thought, well, is, is that going to help him? I talked last week when we did the show. I felt like if Wisconsin got by Colgate, that they would make it out <laughs> of the first weekend. Now, I had no idea, obviously, that Chucky would get hurt. But I thought Johnny was going to be able to play like Johnny. Um, and just too often down the stretch, that wasn't the case. And he really, in a game like this, when nobody else was hitting, he had to be able to be that guy. And he wound up going four for 16 from the field. Yeah, he didn't show any signs of that ankle injury just in terms of like the way he was walking, the way he was running. But he clearly had, I don't want to say re-injured it, but aggravated it against Colgate late in that game. He came across, uh, I think, the final bucket for Colgate. He slipped, kind of looked like he did a little bit of something to it. And he told us on Saturday that it was sore and that uh, – he was feeling a little, it wasn't feeling great and that he, you know, he'd see how it felt Sunday. So I think it's pretty clear that he wasn't at hundred percent, but I don't think that necessarily, certainly without him, they're not there at all. Right. I mean, they, I think we've talked about this before. Is that, is that a stretch? I don't, I, they're not there without no, him. They're, they're not an NCAA tournament team w- w- yeah. without so, Johnny Davis. He, he so carried I, them for stretches. Right. So I think I don't, I don't want to sit here and, and criticize like him Partially because without them, they're not even in that position. And but for them to be special, for them to be able to get where they needed to be, to, you know, to the Sweet Sixteen, they needed him to be Johnny, and he 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 wasn't. And some of that probably was injury, and some of that just probably wasn't a good play. I'm not. I don't. I don't want to be overly critical of him because he's, as I said, he's the only reason they were there. But it's also worth criticizing him for you know the, the shooting woes that had popped up at times this year, but when you're, when you're the guy and you're the guy that has, to, and you're going to be the guy that's getting to take a lot of shots, there are probably going to be nights like that. I'm twisting myself into a pretzel here, but um, <laughs> you know, I, I feel like it's worth acknowledging how important he was to their success while also being able to uh, recognize that he didn't play 
up to the level that he had played to earlier. And I think you could probably say he probably agrees with that to an extent. Yeah, he, he's hard on himself and he knows how good he can be. And the stars have to rise to the occasion in these moments. And Greg talked about it after the Colgate game because Johnny was able to. One, one of the things I felt like Johnny did a lot this season was he tended to, and not every game, but there were a lot of slow starts. And then in the second half, he just went into a different gear and he took over the game. And we saw it two nights earlier. And part of me was wondering is or thinking, okay, now, now it's going to happen. Wisconsin's been trailing for a lot of the second half. A six-point deficit or an eight-point deficit felt like a double-digit deficit because of how few points were scored. Johnny's going to take over. And he tried. He certainly tried. His ability to, to get to the rim caused a lot of teams' problems. But Iowa State was there. And the combination of good defense and shots not going in when they were open, it spelled disaster for Wisconsin. Johnny, three-point shooting, I thought he did an admirable an admirable job for a lot of the season, but I, that you certainly wouldn't say that's his forte. And if he does leave for the NBA, I think his outside shot is something he's certainly going to have to work on. And look, he's, he's only going to get better. The kid is a sophomore and he'll be able to focus on basketball full time, whatever decision he makes. Although I, I think you and I both agree he's gone, but he went over seven on threes and he's not the only one. Wisconsin was two for 22, but again, your best player, he's got to play like the superstar. And so that that's only one element of why Wisconsin lost, but it's certainly worth pointing out given how good Johnny was for the team all season. Yeah. Johnny Davis, 17 points. He went nine. He got to the free throw line 11 times, had nine rebounds, had uh, four blocks. Uh, a lot of them, you know, on Gabe Kelsher and a, a couple of steals in 38 minutes. I mean, he played nearly the entire game, despite what he did with the ankle. The thing with Johnny is it's not solely about, his offense all the time, right? Like, I mean, he gives them other things. And I thought he did do that yesterday. I mean, the, the rebounding, he had, I think he may be the, and without, this might be a little bit of hyperbole, he may be the best rebounding guard Wisconsin's ever had. I really have to think about it, but, um, you know, I mean, his, his size and length at 6'5 and athleticism allowed him to, to do some damage on the boards, no doubt about it. Yeah. So Johnny didn't have the game he needed to have. And yet, I think, and maybe you, we didn't talk about this after the game yesterday, but if Chucky doesn't go down, they win that game, correct or no? I feel like Wisconsin does. I mean, they played as bad offensively as you will ever see Wisconsin play, and they lost the game by five points. And Greg said after the game that this was probably the best game they played defensively all year. Well, Chucky is as good of a defender as anybody on the team. And offensively, even though he was didn't have a great start, didn't have any assistance, and had a couple turnovers, like that's very un- unlike Chucky. I think he would have settled things down. The rotations would have been different, and I do think Wisconsin would have won. But that's not how it works. <laughs> it's not uh, largely because Gabe Kelcher all of a sudden decided to have uh, a big game yes. against Wisconsin. He uh, finished with a team high twenty two points. He, I should say, game high twenty two points. He was ten of nineteen from the floor. And he gave Wisconsin all kinds of trouble. Johnny had that uh, cover for much of it. And, uh, you know, Kelsher had a great game. The thing about it is Gabe Kelsher had never, before yesterday, he had never made more than four shots against Wisconsin. He had, I mean, he had scored, the most he had scored was 15 points uh, during his time with Minnesota. And I thought it was interesting. You tweeted it out afterwards. And I, there, he uh, said he never really liked Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. That gave him, you know, it was a little bit of a, 
an extra motivation because he never really liked Wisconsin. He was, he was a Minnesota raised guy. He came to Wisconsin a bunch of times as a recruit. Wisconsin never ended up offering him. And maybe that is where his anger comes from. He almost, I know Wisconsin also, he was certainly one of the guys that they looked at in the portal last year. And he ended up going to Ohio, uh, Iowa State instead. I don't know if he was still feeling uh, a little shunned because Wisconsin didn't offer him out of high school, but he got his revenge. You can talk that talk after you win a game like that. The, yeah. the, full, quote, the full quote from Gabe was, I, I never really liked Wisconsin, to be honest. I have family from there, but I'm a Minnesota-raised man. It gives me a little more edge to play a Big Ten team, but also Wisconsin, and it fueled my fire for sure. Good post-game quote. He killed Wisconsin. I thought Iowa State did a great job of, of getting their shooters coming off those screens. Like a big guy would set a pick, Kalsher would come around the corner and pull up around the elbows, and he was hitting. And Wisconsin struggled to keep pace with him. He was he was the best guy on the floor against Wisconsin. And a big reason why Iowa State's moving on. Wisconsin's not. I'd say he's the only reason they're moving on. I mean, they the rest of the team, he had half their makes. He went 10 for 20. Excuse me. He went 10 for 19. They as a team went 20 for 58. So the rest of the team was 10 for 39. I was really surprised at how poorly Tyrese Hunter played. I mean, well, I mean, after he, he, uh, Tyrese Hunter, Wisconsin kid, all that good stuff. I think he pulled all of the, all of his, his luck together on, <laughs> on Friday night. I mean, going 7 11 for three for a guy that was shooting in the 20s much of the year. He was probably due for that. And I I actually think Wisconsin deserves some credit for that. Uh, Certainly Chucky to begin with. And then, you know, Jacoby didn't give them a ton offensively, but he he did a pretty good job on, on Hunter defensively. And I think that, you know, next year that may be a, maybe that's a guy that you can use more defensively than, and can get on the floor that way. Because even if he's not giving you something offensively, he can step in and, and slow guys down. He's athletic enough to do that. And I thought he did a good job against Hunter. Well, Neath is going to have to play a bigger role given well, we'll see. where things are headed, uh, we'll see. potentially. We'll, we'll see. I, like, we'll get into that in a little bit in terms of yeah. you know, the future of it. But yeah, Hunter finished one for 10, um, and he missed multiple bunnies. He missed, I, I counted at least three layups, and the only field goal that he made was that fast break layup in which Chucky got hurt. And at the time, Chucky left the game. I, I had this written somewhere. Hunter was, I think, one for seven from the field. So Chucky had played... Really good defense on him, and obviously Hunter wasn't able to do much afterward. But I thought if Iowa State was to win, that Hunter had to be the guy, and and he wasn't at all. But th- that, so you know, I have to write an Iowa State feature this week, and was talking to them earlier in the week. Like what they've been able to do is why the transfer portal is an absolute game changer in college basketball. Look at the roster: Brockington was at Penn State, Kalsher was at Minnesota. I don't know how to pronounce the, the forward's name. Is it Aljaz Koontz? I apologize sure. for butchering it. But he was at Washington State. Three of your five starters were transfers, and you happen to have a Big 12 freshman of the year in Hunter. So, you know, uh, Wisconsin's transfers weren't on that level, but that's a big reason as well why Iowa State is so good. Went from a two-win team to being in the Sweet 16. How big of an impact was the Tyler Wall picking up a couple fouls early Huge. And, and having to sit? It was huge. What did he play? Seven minutes in the first half? I mean, look how good he was two nights earlier and how good he's been down the stretch offensively. You take him out, as I said before, and we've discussed, the depth has been an issue all season. That's a, 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 a big loss when he's not on the court. 
And he wasn't the only one who was in foul trouble. You know, Stephen Crowell didn't have his best game, really struggled, but he was in foul trouble. Those are two of your, your key starters. So I know people, fans are probably upset about the officiating and, and some of the calls. I always think, like, get over it. If you don't shoot two for 22 and commit 17 turnovers, you're moving on. But, of course, it was a big, big deal for Tyler to be on the bench. I always wonder, too, and we talk about this, when a guy gets two fouls in the first half, why do you have to let him sit for like 10 straight minutes? I know you could pick up your third foul at some point, but if you're that valuable to the team, just leave them out there till they foul out. You, you got, you don't have fouls out there after the season. So if, if he doesn't foul out in the end, those are extra minutes he could have played. They are. Uh, Iowa state was in such bad foul trouble in the first half. They ended up playing guys with two fouls and two of them picked up, Third, their, their third foul. Jones and Condit both picked up their third foul when they came back in. They didn't. I guess they didn't really necessarily have a choice. I mean, they, the the team as a team got called for fourteen fouls in the first half. But with Not Wisconsin, out. it goes coach by coach, right? I think in um, in Greg Gard's case, more often than not, they're going to sit. And you know, with the game being close, and he said this afterwards, with the game being close he felt okay doing that, but you, you disagree. You probably should have played more. No, I mean, Greg is the guy who's the head coach for a reason. Uh, it, it's easy to play armchair quarterback in retrospect, but it's just like such a drop off. And Tyler's been so good for them that certainly you would have wanted him on the floor. It's a tough decision to make. Ultimately, Tyler wound up with four fouls. He played about 25 minutes. So if he's on the floor and picks up his third, Maybe he winds up with five fouls and fouling out, but it's just, it's one of those what if games that you play. Yeah. I, I think even when he was on the court, they did a really good job against him. Yeah, definitely. You know, when they, when with trapping the post at the way that they did, when you do that, it forces you to make passes that are not always ideal. And that's I, how much of that, at least in the post, how many of those turnovers were a result of that? Do you think of the pressure and the double teams? Yes. I think several were. I think yeah. several. It's it sort of sped Wisconsin up. You're forcing guys who, you know, they, they have some decent passers, obviously, in the post, but like that's not your, your number one skill set as a post player. And so I think there were several plays that resulted in turnovers from that pressure in the post. It was really, it was really difficult. What do you think of the, the environment? Did it help or hurt them over, over these two games? I mean, I, we all talked about getting to Milwaukee and playing a home game, but it sure, it sure felt like there were some jitters certainly for uh, Friday night. And it felt like it came across uh, on Sunday as well. And the pressure of being in that moment, I don't want to say got to him, but it felt like it impacted him. You know, I'm not going to say it hurt this team. There were definitely, it was definitely on Friday in the first round game. You could tell that you had to get some of the jitters out. And, and Greg talked about it in the post game locker room. Wisconsin showed, but there was some video from the March madness feed about him talking about, okay, now you got those jitters out and we can go play on Sunday. Um, I think more of it had to do with how Iowa State defended and just how poorly Wisconsin played. I don't know that it would have mattered if Wisconsin had played in some other city. Um, they were just bad, and the injury to Hepburn didn't help. And honestly, I thought there were several occasions. As we know, Brad likes to pump up the crowd, um, encouraging them to get on their feet. Multiple occasions down the stretch, he did that, and it got really loud. And if anything, I think that puts a lot of pressure on Iowa State 
when the Cyclones have the ball, but they were able to finish it off. And because they were able to extend the lead out in the second half, I think it sort of negated the crowd for long stretches. They just weren't able to get into it because Wisconsin was so terrible offensively that, as I said, a six or eight, eight point deficit felt like even more. Yeah, uh, the, the crowd tried, I thought. Yeah, tried to will them <laughs> to get some basket. But, you know, your day is going bad when you get a, a layup. You're struggling mightily to get anything going and you get a ball up on the rim that's going to clearly go in and you have a guy ta- uh, touch it while it's in the cylinder. Yeah, that was Brad Davison was, was pissed and I would have been too. He went up for the layup and it was clearly going in and then Stephen Crowell went up and got the basket interference call and took away the layup. Um, you know, well, wouldn't, wouldn't have hurt for them to, to get those points. Don't know that it would have mattered, but sort of a microcosm of the day offensively. But that, that's the thing. I don't know if it would matter either, but the momentum there to get the basket and then you're, you're going to get the crowd on your side to get back on the other end and perhaps you get a stop and it leads to something else. You know, it was just it was a morale killer, I think. Uh, but there were a bunch of morale killers, uh, whether yeah. it's turnovers or missed open shots or, you know, what, what, whatever it is. There were there were a lot of uh, morale and, and um, confidence killers that happened in that game. And well, the- when you score 49 points, you're usually not going to win. Uh, they they right. won while scoring in the 40s in the big t- in the uh, NCAA tournament. We saw it against Pitt. Um, what was that? Oh, was that 16 17? Or the uh, yeah, I think it was 16 17. I mean they they've won that way, but that's but the, the, this this was just really really bad. Sure, I wouldn't want to count on winning that way. And this was the fewest points Wisconsin has scored in a game. Since a 53-46 loss to Virginia on November 23rd, 2018. That was 122 games. <laughs> so again, a, a long time to, to play and, and then have your worst game in the worst moment. And, and same with the turnovers. I think the, the, they had more turnovers in the 17-18 season against Purdue. They had 20. That was 142 games ago. I, I, Greg Gard said it best. You, those two together, too many missed shots, too many turnovers. He called it... Um, a pretty lethal combination. Yeah, definitely was. And now Wisconsin has to look at their bracket and see what would have been awaiting them in Chicago had they been able to get through. Not number two Auburn, but Miami instead. And and look, Miami won that game, and but we also know that Auburn wasn't playing great basketball towards the end of it. I have no idea if uh, Wisconsin with the Hallie Chuck- Chucky Hepburn would beat Miami, but at least you'd be in that situation. You'd be in Chicago, and on the other side of the bracket, you'd have uh, you know Kansas and Providence, and the way both of those teams are playing, I'm not sure I'd give Wisconsin... Uh, I'm not sure I'd make Wisconsin, certainly against Kansas, not a favorite whatsoever, and I'm not sure... I'm sure Providence, the way that they've played in the tournament so far, would probably be a favorite in that game, but you just never know what happens when you get there. But that bracket opened up for them, and they did not take advantage of it. Let me throw a question to you. I was thinking about this briefly last night after the game or after Chucky went out. Was this Brian Butch level what if? That team was way better, but is this on that level of the what if scale? It is to an extent. Butch got hurt in the regular season. That was, I mean, yeah. that's the only, the only difference. I kind of thought of it more in the Trayvon Hughes realm. It's a little bit different because it, it was Steph Curry and it probably wasn't going to matter, but Trayvon re-injured his ankle in, I think it was like 13 minutes left in the second half, and the game was not a blowout yet at that point. Steph Curry had not yet gone off. I don't know if it would have made a difference in that one. 
clearly in this one, I think it would have because there was no Steph Curry on the other side that was going to you know light you up. But Brian, in terms of uh, what could have been Brian Butch and that team, and we've talked with we talked with Butch, we talked with Bo, and asked them straight up, you know, if that he hadn't got hurt, would that have been the f- first Final Four team? Would Bo not have had to wait another f- what, five years to get there? And yes, they would have. And we talked. I, I talked to Alondo a Tucker about it too. Sorry, people, um, about it too. And he said, "We're winning the whole thing." So that team was a two seed and was playing some of the best basketball at Wisconsin when Butch went down with Brian. I, I certainly think they make it past UNLV in the second round. And you never. I, I'd have to go back and look at the bracket and see exactly who would have been there, but. This that was a bigger what if as opposed to this one because I don't think this team as it had, was playing was probably going to get past whether it's Providence or Kansas but again they didn't put themselves in that chance they didn't give themselves that chance and and so we're we're talking about hypotheticals as opposed to anything you know in reality but what do you think? Uh- yeah, this team wasn't as good. It's just when you think about when they were at their best, they could have beaten basically anyone. And if they had played Miami in the Sweet 16, to me, it's with a good Wisconsin team. It's it's a toss up, and they've been so good in the close games. It's kind of funny. They had been 15 and one, had set the record for most consecutive wins in games decided by six points or fewer in the three point era, and then just fizzled. Lost what three of the last four, and all three. Or six points or fewer, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. So, they, the, the I guess what goes around comes around. Yeah, the Nebraska game, and then the Michigan State game, and then beat Colgate, and then lost this one. So, yeah, can't win them all. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe there was a little bit of luck involved, huh? Um, depends how you want to how you want to look at that, but overall. Looking back on the season overall, I described it as a successful season with an unsuccessful March. Do you think that's fair? It's it's absolutely fair. And often people put determine a coach's legacy or a team's legacy on what happens in March, and that's completely understandable. But you certainly can't forget an entire regular season that comprises 30 plus games. And this was a team that people thought wouldn't be very good. Picked to finish 10th in the Big Ten. I Realistically, I thought if they finished in the upper half of the Big Ten, that would be a success. Like if they were 7th and even a bubble team for the NCAA tournament, you'd have thought, wow, they've come a long way. But for them to go on the stretch that they did, and it started certainly with that Maui Invitational and Johnny Davis bursting onto the scene and wind up earning a share of the Big Ten regular season title, you know, I think this group brought Badgers fans a tremendous amount of joy. You, They won't soon forget that Purdue game. It was as loud as it's ever been. It was such a monumental moment. It was a party on the floor. And even though they lost a second-round game, I think people will look back and value that. I, you know, for, for as good as Wisconsin's been, there hasn't been a national title <laughs> in any of these runs. Um, so you're going to lose eventually. Now, would it have been great for them to make it another weekend or even a final four run? Certainly. Um, but I, I, I think it's a very successful season. And really think about where Wisconsin was in the summer. 
because of the, the leaked recording had come out. You had the seniors questioning how guard developed relationships with them. And there were questions outside the program about, is this going to, is this a sign that there are cracks in the program? How is Greg guard going to be able to recover? Will this team be distracted by that? And, and I asked Greg about it earlier this week and he said it had the opposite effect. It, it brought them closer together. So if you look now heading into the off season, I think this is a program that is once again on, on solid footing, certainly has questions that it has to address this off season, but I think they're in a better spot now. And I don't think anybody saw coming what happened this season. Before we get into the, the future, they are losing a guy that probably is more associated with both by fans locally and nationally than maybe any player in school history. And that's Brad Davison, who leaves as one of, and again, I know people can be like, well, he played for five years. He should be all these things. But he, uh, when he leaves, he's a, the all-time leading uh, three-point shooter. He's the all-time leader in games played, and he's top 10 in points, assists, steals, and free throws made. When you think about Brad Davison, and, and uh, before I get to that, likely, it has been, hasn't been charted, but almost surely the career leader in uh, charges taken. <laughs> I wouldn't have to think so. He might have got that record two years ago. Yes, probably, probably got it in the NC State game. When you look back on his career, how will you remember him? I know we got to hear what he said yesterday and that he hopes people remember him for not, not just for basketball, but for all the things that he is off the court and the way that he lives his life and that type of stuff. But how will you remember him? I'll remember him as the ultimate competitor. Some, some of the probably cliche things that you hear about tough-nosed, gritty players, but I remember the first practice that reporters had access to when Brad was a freshman and I remember them doing like a half court shell drill and the ball was going out of bounds and he dove on the floor and gave up his body. And I was like, who is this dude? Because he was talking like he was a senior in terms of getting people organized. And you know, that was one of the things Greg talked about after the game as well, about it became evident early in Brad's career, what a leader he was and just how valuable he was. He, we went into the starting lineup just a few games into his freshman season and he never left. So he did everything in his power to keep Wisconsin going. I know that over the course of his career, he was involved in at least a handful of controversial plays. And if you weren't a Badgers fan, you absolutely hated him. Um, but I think even those fans, if they had Brad on their team, they would have said, gives us a better chance to win. Um, and so I think that's how I'll remember Brad. Yeah, definitely. They're going to miss him. I, I think there's no doubt about that. And Greg Gar got emotional in talking about him. And, you know, I, I totally understand. I call him a coach's dream and did everything he possibly could to help them win. And uh, some would say he went over the line a few times, but I think he took I personally think he took more grief than he probably deserved, but, but because you, you see him on the floor and you don't necessarily see who he is as a person off the floor. You only see him as, you know, maybe the guy that's pushing the line at times. Yeah, I think so. I also feel like, you know, the last couple of years you saw less of that and certainly this year. Um, and some of that maybe has to do with how, how officials call a game or, or Brad, not winding up in some of those situations, but he did everything that you would ask of a, a player. And 
as Greg has mentioned during the season, that idea of leading from behind. Now, I think Brad did a lot more vocal leading later on in the season because Johnny and Tyler, who were stepping into leadership roles, they're not vocal players. Whenever there was a huddle, Brad was the one who was getting them together. He was calling out plays. He was instructing guys on where to play defense. Just invaluable to the program, um, but also showed an ability to sort of take a backseat and allow these other guys to thrive. And that's not always easy to do. Yeah, definitely not. Before we get into the future, there are some Twitter questions about the game that I wanted to get to Sure. Uh, quickly. Uh, CT Badger says, uh, did Wisconsin's lack of depth finally catch up with them? The five starters played major minutes. Did the cumulative wear and tear of the Big Ten impact both injuries and stamina? Free throw and field goal percentage dropped. and They've looked flat after the emotional peak of the Purdue game. Well, did the lack of depth kept catch up with Wisconsin? Hell yes. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, when, when you've got problems with foul trouble or an injury, there's a substantial drop-off other than, and I thought Chris vote, he, you know, he comes here for one season. You don't necessarily know what you're going to get from him. He was solid and defensively he was excellent. He had a couple critical blocks in the span of about a minute of that Iowa state game, but you didn't have any backcourt depth left because you don't have Lauren Bowman. Um, or didn't have Lauren Bowman since the middle of February. And so Greg was using rotations that he just didn't normally use. Um, in terms of whether all the minutes caught up with Wisconsin, uh, I mean, who knows? Like, they just had a bad performance. And sometimes it's tough to turn, turn things around and play a really intense game like that with everything on the line 48 hours later. Now, every other team has to do it that goes to the second round, but it's hard for me to say that it's because they played so many minutes. Yeah. Scott says, uh, which game was a worse offensive performance, 2022 versus Iowa State or 1999 versus Southwest Missouri State? So the Southwest Missouri State game, they scored 32 points, Jesse. They lost that game 43 to 32. However, they shot 32% from the field and 12.5% from three-point range. <laughs> How many so, turnovers? What was the assist-to-turnover ratio? Only eight. Uh, so their, their assist-to-turnover ratio is one-to-one. Eight assists and eight turnovers. Obviously, Both they were. Eyesores. Yeah, obviously they were not playing fast. I think that's fair to say. Excuse me. They they shot twenty five percent from the field. That's my bad. They shot yeah twenty five and a half percent from the field, twelve uh, percent from three point range. I was looking at the two point percentage where they shot thirty two percent. But yeah, overall it was twenty five percent. And it's not like Missouri State shot lights out. They shot thirty nine percent. But uh, I remember that game. I'll say this game is was more ugly just because you uh, from that Wisconsin team that was not unexpected. You know what I mean? They had that ability under Dick Bennett to to play like that sometimes, and so eh, yeah, eh, I'm, I'm going to say the <laughs> Iowa State game. It's 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 like comparing car wrecks, but uh, yeah, I say pick your poison, but it's you will be poisoned as a fan by having to watch either one of those games. That, that was a little before my time on the beat. So I'm going to go with the Iowa State game just because it was so uncharacteristic. Like the, the inability to take care of the ball. And we should mention, Wisconsin comes into the game averaging 8.4 turnovers per game, number one in the country, turns the ball over twice as much, and then has a – it's not even a one-to-two turnover ratio. They had seven assists and 17 turnovers. It's just ridiculous on top of the fact that they missed – there was a stretch where they missed 15 consecutive three-pointers, and the only reason they had a second made three was because they were scrambling to take like three three-pointers on one possession, and Jordan Davis stepped back, heaved one in. 
Otherwise, they're one for 22. It was just awful. It was bad. You covered the Ole Miss game, didn't you? Oh, I certainly did. Yes, that was my first NCAA tournament uh, on the beat. So where that was that? a that was a really bad shooting team the whole season. Um, they just weren't good offensively. I remember talking to Bo Ryan as he was sitting in his locker room stall after the game. I don't know why he was in there. He was just chilling. You could go up and talk to him after the game, and he just kind of admitted, like, yeah, they were <laughs> they were never very good all season shooting. Um, that was a young. That was Sam Decker's freshman year. That was terrible, but at least we got to watch Marshall Henderson. This was worse. Yeah, this this was uh, definitely worse. I, I watched that game at a bar in Las Vegas. It was an early, it was like an early tip. Uh, I want to say it was the first. Was it Thursday or Friday? I thought it was. I thought it was Thursday. It, oh, it was Thursday. It was the 11 a.m. game. Wisconsin was the very first team bounced from the NCAA tournament. It was like 1.30, and I'm looking around thinking, like, well, what do I do now? Yeah, it was really bad. Uh, John uh, says, would love a breakdown of how Wisconsin handled Iowa State's double teams. They seemed really flustered, had no answer offensively other than to pick up their dribble and turn the ball over. I think you just broke it down pretty well. I don't know what else. I mean, I don't know what else to say. They knew it was going to happen. It was discussed, especially with Tyler Wall, that he was going to face more double teams in the paint. Um, But it seemed like they basically doubled anybody who got down on the block. Yeah. And Wisconsin didn't have an answer. And that's what you have to do. I mean, the very first, if I'm not mistaken, one of the first touches that Johnny had, it was in the post and they doubled him. And I was wondering, well, are they just going to throw a double team at him the whole game and say, we'll make anybody else beat you. But that was just sort of their plan for everyone down there. Yeah. And it worked because it forced tough passes. And Greg, uh, Greg Gar mentioned it, that they took, they went for the home run too often as opposed to working the ball around. Uh, And by me, by saying that he trying to make passes, through the middle of the defense as right. opposed to swinging it around. And I thought, I, I'm re- thinking of one exactly. Uh, Chris Vogt thought he had, I think Tyler, or maybe it was Tyler thought he had Vogt and, and did a little bounce pass across, over the middle and it was picked off with yeah. ease. So, yeah. Uh, Vance says, what happened? They beat Purdue to clinch at least to share the Big Ten. Never looked the same. Johnny went down versus Nebraska, Chucky Knight, but both still winnable games. The season is certainly a success compared to coming in into the season, what compared? What about compared to three weeks ago? Well, Johnny just didn't play as well down the stretch, which is pretty significant. And frankly, a lot of these games were toss-ups to begin with, as we talked about. But Wisconsin had sort of been living on the edge all season. For and you know, I said it was a big part of their identity, and that it meant that they were they had the toughness to win these games. But it also meant that they had the ability to lose any of these close games. So I mean, I'm not just blaming it on that what happened they they played their worst basketball at the worst time sometimes a team doesn't play particularly well earns a seven or an eight seed and gets hot at the right time and makes a run and this was sort of the opposite yeah and there there are examples in this tournament of playing your best ball right i mean iowa was playing its best basketball and they went out and shot it horribly one game and they went home kentucky playing really good basketball Going home, Tennessee, awesome basketball in the SEC tournament. Not playing anymore. I mean, you can go on down the line of teams that were playing really well and playing good basketball, and they're not there anymore. And then you've got other teams that kind of struggled down the stretch, whether it was Michigan, you know, where they are. But also an Auburn team struggled down the uh, They were awesome pretty much the entire year. 
and they picked a bad time to play their worst basketball and they're not playing anymore. A lot goes into winning games in the NCAA tournament and it doesn't matter necessarily if you're hot or you're not. It's just there's so many intangibles that go into it. Yeah, it makes honestly, it makes you realize how hard it is to win six games and a national championship or even four games to get to the final four. How many things have to go right? How well you have to be playing because you have one bad stretch and you're out. And it was more than a bad stretch for Wisconsin. They had everything that could go wrong, did go wrong, but it is so, so difficult. And that's why it's impossible to predict what's going to happen in March. Yeah, very difficult. Uh, Pat says, uh, really questioning guard in his defensive matchups, especially in the second half. Having Johnny cover Kelsher for the whole game, especially in the second half, he says it's under serious scrutiny. Well, I guess I would ask, who would you put on Kelsher? Would you put Davison on Kelsher? I mean, they have, I mean, that has happened before. Yeah. But then who's guarding Brockington? Right. And Brockington and, didn't have a great game, but he is no. super physical and is able to get into the lane. He only shot four for 15, but it's a tough matchup either way. I thought they had, I mean, they, Iowa State has very good guard play. It's, it's, it, that's difficult to deal with. They got, uh, here's the thing. Their, their offense gave them some open shots. There's no doubt about that. And especially, it felt like quite a few open shots at the rim. Or maybe not open I mean, may, I don't want to say uncontested. They were definitely contested, but it felt like some shots that probably should have gone in for them down low. But I, I thought the offense itself gave them some open looks. and They didn't necessarily always hit them, except for Kelsher. Kelsher hit him. <laughs> yeah, Kelsher had the, you know, he had a game of his life. Um, I, I'm not, I can't question guard for defensive matchups. Again, Johnny, Johnny's there. I'm sorry, but Johnny's a really, really good defender. And yeah, Kelsher got hot and was able to spring free on screens. And sometimes it's tough to fight over when a seven-footer set in a screen. And they played, as Greg said, it was probably their best defensive game all year. Yeah. Uh, Mark says, what happened to Crowell at the end of the season? I got nothing hmm. from him the last few games, save yeah. for that bank. Save. This is uh, me adding in this in, except for that bank shot. I, I have to imagine it's something that Steven's going to be thinking about the entire off season and that the coaching staff will talk to him about just how do you get to a point where this doesn't happen? And another guy who deserves a lot of credit for making a huge step forward. What did he score? Nine points all year as a freshman. And then he comes in and averages that this year. So he was a big part of Wisconsin's success, but yeah, it just totally fizzled for the most part down the stretch. Um, and the was it that was it the Nebraska game when he had like three turnovers and yes early in the game just didn't look himself. Um, I don't know what happened, frankly, I, I, but I think that's something that will certainly stick with him all off season. Because yeah. on on against Iowa State, you know, he plays twenty five minutes. He went one for four from the floor. He has two points, and he only has one rebound. That's not even close to enough for your starting post man. No, definitely not. All right, let's get into some of these questions for the future. JJ says they got to go to the transfer portal and get a backup point guard for next year, right? And then there's also this one from Bill. How many guards can they recruit from the portal before next season? Okay, so I think we should start with uh, the Lauren Bowman situation because you and I obviously were at the game and weren't watching the television broadcast, but apparently something was said about Lauren not being with the program anymore, and, and Greg made it clear afterward that that is not the case. Um, he met with us 
after the game just to kind of give his postmortem on on the season. And he said that Lauren is back home in Detroit. He's been taking virtual classes. The staff has been in touch with him. The coaches had just FaceTimed with him the day before. Um, and he's still a member of the program. And, and you asked Greg whether he thought Lauren would be back next season. And I believe Greg said that he was hopeful. Um, now the, the school has said that he has been away for a non-COVID related illness and he hasn't played for the last month. So we don't necessarily know what his future is, but if he does come back and Chucky is able to bounce back from the injury, then you've got your starting point guard and your backup point guard. Now, you know, I, I can't speculate on, on what the future is for Lauren at this point, but I think that will have a lot to do with where Wisconsin decides to go in the transfer portal. Having said that, they absolutely have to go to the portal. If I, if, if I'm not mistaken, if assuming Johnny leaves for the NBA, so they've got Connor Siegen coming in, um, which is exactly what they need because he is a great three-point shooter. He's shooting over 43% for his team. Um, but they'll have another scholarship and you got to find someone in the portal who can help you immediately. Yeah. So I, I definitely think they go to the portal, but in, in talking about obviously losing Brad and losing vote and likely losing Johnny, I, I don't think it's necessarily a guarantee that everybody else is back too. you know what I mean? Because of the transfer portal, that guys that uh, potentially want to go elsewhere, it could happen. Like, I don't like we, I don't think that's, that would be a shock with to you. Like, I, I feel like there's certainly there are, I don't think it's just going to be those three guys that are, that are gone next year is what I'm saying. I'm not going to sit here and say, I know who it's not, who it's going to be, but I'd be surprised if everyone else is back. Is what I'm saying. I mean, nothing would surprise me. This is the time of year where there's a lot of movement and there are a lot of guys who aren't necessarily happy with their roles and don't want to wait, but it's mostly going to be young talent next season. You've obviously got Tyler Wall coming back and Jacoby Neath, but a lot of these guys didn't play a ton. Um, it's it's going to be a totally different looking team. You're going to have to have obviously Crowell and Hepburn leading with Wall and, and Neath, and Ben Carlson's going to have to take a huge step forward. Can Jordan Davis become a regular guy in the lineup? You had a couple guys redshirt. What do they look like? Marcus Silver barely played. So there's a lot of questions about what this team looks like, but I agree with you. I, I don't think even though we know some guys aren't going to be here next season, that everybody else is going to stick around. You just don't know in the transfer portal era. No, you don't. You talk about guard playing. If Lauren does come back, I, I always thought that him and Chucky could play together. Like, if, if Lauren comes back, I think he ends up being a starter. I don't think that they have another starting caliber guard on the team right now. You don't consider Jacoby Neath a starting caliber guard? I don't. Okay. Well, that's fair. Um, I, 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 again, I, he's, he's, I just, was, look, he had a tough season, right? Like he, yeah. a lot, he went through a lot his first year here. Like there's just a, a lot that happened, but I don't, we saw a little bit of him defensively. Certainly, I think he's got that ability. Offensively, he, it's just not there. Uh, and maybe that changes going into next year, but right now I, I don't think he is. I think the another starting guard is not currently on the team right now. I think that's a reasonable take. If, if they're going to go to the portal, they've got to add to the backcourt because I think they've got they've got some pieces to work with in the front court. Um, but you need you need more guard play. Guard play is huge in college basketball, and you yeah. see what happens when one guy's not available. 
it changes everything. Now they had two guys not available, so they were dead in the water. They were, but they need shooting. Yes. And, and again, I think, you know, you never know how, how quickly a freshman is going to come in and be the guy. I thought Matthew Moores was going to have an opportunity to be a member of the rotation. Obviously a great high school player, you know, is Connor Seijin going to be ready right away? I don't know, but I think he's exactly the type of piece that they need. Greg has said before, you can never have enough shooters. That's what he gives you. And there wasn't a guy on the roster this year who gave you that consistently. I mean, Brad had some really good moments and obviously he's got more made threes than anybody else. So I guess you could say him, but in terms of like a pure three point shooter, Connor is that guy. Yeah, he is. Do, do they add another backup big man, a guy that could be Votrell, or do you count on Chris Hodges and Moore's, who I aren't necessarily, you know, certainly not Moore's, but, you know, Hodges, we talked to Stephen Crowell said that he's been going up against Chris Hodges all season yeah. and that he is not necessarily. So, I mean, he obviously would be the, the backup at this point going into next year. Do you need to add another big? Because, I mean, Chris Hodges at 6'9", 6'8", 6'9", not necessarily a great size. And if Steven goes down, you're in trouble because he's your only guy that, you know, is a true big. Well, I think the question comes down to how many scholarships do you wind up having available and who is interested in your program? Because that's the other thing is and a lot of these teams are still playing or just finished. So you don't even know who's going to wind up in the portal. There are some guys in there, but this is kind of that stage. Obviously, coaches going to take some time to regroup, but you've got to evaluate your roster really quickly and figure out who you want to bring in. So I don't know. Will there be room to bring in a scholarship guard and a scholarship big man? Uh, that's a question I can't answer right now because we don't know what the, the roster is going to look like. But somebody's going to be added because they have to have some help. Yeah. And the thing with Wisconsin normally is it's all about recruit and develop, right? Right. So when, when you look at some of these guys, and uh, this is a question from Jesse, and I think it might be maybe a little tough to answer, and I certainly don't want to go guy by guy, but what's one aspect that certain that, that everyone coming back can work on individually to improve their game? And I'll, I'm not going to, as I said, I'm not going to go guy by guy. I think it's a little bit, um, I don't know if we have a great answer for everybody out there, but if you're looking at a guy like Chucky Hepburn, what's the one aspect that he needs to improve on coming back, do you think? Well, I think it's going to be him taking over as a bigger scorer, and I think he's absolutely going to be ready for that role. He showed toward the second half of the season that his confidence grew. He hit clutch three-pointers. We know he's going to run the show very well. We know he's going to have a good assist-to-turnover ratio. We know he's going to play excellent defense and pester the other team's best ball handler. But for me, I think it's his scoring ability, and I, he's going to take that step. Like, There's no doubt in my mind he's – He's going to go down, I think, as one of the best point guards Wisconsin has had, assuming he winds up playing all four years here. What about Stephen Crowell? Consistency. Um, not picking up fouls. I mean, we talked about toward the, the end of the season. You, know, you can't have that from a guy that you absolutely are relying on at that position, and you're not going to have Chris Vogt anymore. So more minutes, ability to stay on the floor, be physical. You know, He's shown he can step out and hit three-pointers. I think all around it's just more consistent. What about, um, excuse me, Tyler Wall? Well, sort of like Chucky, I think the scoring is going to have to be key because you're losing your top two scorers and you got to figure out where those points are coming from. He does such a good job of 
flustering opponents in the post. He, he makes shots all the time that I think, how did he even get that off? And when he gets it off, well, that's not going to go in. And they always seem to go in. Um, he does a lot of those other things well, but it's just taking that next step in the development in terms of leadership and being vocal. Cause I think he, he's going to have to be one of those guys that when there's that huddle out of a timeout, someone's talking to the rest of the team. That was Brad's job this season and has been Brad's job for the last couple of years. So it's a vocal leader. And, and I think the scoring ability as well. And, you know, handling double teams in the post, because that's not going to stop. You're going to see that even more. So not getting flustered in those types of situations, I think is going to be key as well. I said, I weren't going to go player by player, but I got a couple <laughs> more for you. Sure. Um, Jordan Davis. Yeah. I, well, the ability to get on the floor more consistently, I think is going to be huge for him. It's a tough spot to be in when you don't know how many minutes you're going to get. You don't know how many shots you're going to get. Um, that's, that's a challenge. And if Johnny's gone and Jordan's here, it's a different situation as well. I know that Jordan is Johnny's biggest fan and has his back and all that, but he's not, he's not going to be in, in Johnny's shadow on campus anymore. He's going to have an opportunity to be a key member of the rotation. I think he's a really good three-point shooter, so it's developing some of those other areas. But I also think that comes with playing more minutes. You just can't substitute for that. All right, one more guy that actually got got play in the rotation, Ben Carlson. Yeah, I figured he'd be coming because I think he's got to make as big of a jump as anybody on the roster. I really do. They're going to need him. We've talked about what the front court looks like. He did some really good things, and I know we haven't talked much about the Colgate game because the Iowa State game overshadows it, but look at what he did in the first half. His plus-minus was plus 12. He played for nine minutes. He had four points, I believe three rebounds. So he's got an ability to get second-chance points to keep possessions alive. With him, I think it's obviously the further he gets away from that injury last year, and I know it's a, you know we're a year out at this point or more but he's going to need to play a ton of minutes. So developing physically, being more willing offensively, I think he's got to make, again, maybe the biggest jump of anybody on the roster. Do you think that's fair to say? Yes. Um, everybody on the roster. I think Chucky needs to. Uh, but he's already kind of there. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah you know? you're right. Yep, you're right. No, Ben showed flashes, especially against Colgate, I thought, mm-hmm. of being, maybe it's because it was Colgate, and they don't necessarily have great athletes. Uh, I think that's probably being fair, but he looked apart in that game and yep. then wasn't, it didn't give them much against Iowa State. I think, you're, I think consistency and also being able to match up with, and Greg has talked about it, that he may not be the greatest matchup against some more athletic guys. Maybe getting, and I don't know, can you, can you improve your athleticism? Yeah, why not? Uh, you can you get got, quicker. You can get quicker. Yes. You can, you can, but also, you can only go so far with that, though. Sure. So, but I, I do think he can be better, and and I also think anticipation can help you with athlete, you know, with, with athletic guys. Like if you know where guys are going, you can be a step ahead of them. Maybe if you're not, maybe if you don't have that same athleticism, but you know, I think yes, I think it's probably fair to say that he needs to make a jump. And also, if they strike out in the transfer portal, Jordan Davis needs to make a huge jump. Mm-hmm. Like he needs, he needs to be a guy that's. If he's your shooter, he needs to actually hit shots. Like yeah, he, uh, you know what I mean? Like that's that's what he's. I mean, that's what everybody thinks of him as. And also, I go always go back to my. 
if they stand up when the three pointer goes uh, up, <laughs> they they think it's going in type of thing because they see it mm-hmm. in practice and they he's a good shooter. And every time he takes a shot, they stand up. So I kind of feel like that's that's kind of my indicator of whether he's a good three point shooter or, uh, and whether they think he is their shooter. And certainly think he is. He didn't hit enough of them. He had some open looks last night. It felt like there was one that went down and out, uh, yes. in and out. You know, in the left corner off Johnny's feed. Yeah, right in front of you. So he needs to hit that jump and, and carry over what he's clearly doing in practice to the game. Yes. And I'll just quickly address I believe there's four other scholarship guys with Carter Gilmore, Marcus Silver, Matthew Morris, and Chris Hodges. Again, all guys that have the potential to take a jump and be in the playing rotation. It's it's a huge offseason for so many guys in the program because opportunities are going to be wide open. Yeah, no, they, they definitely are. There, there are going to be chances. We don't know what it's going to look like in terms of get, bringing guys in for the transfer portal. I wouldn't think that there's going to be maybe outside of a uh, another big, like actual big guy. I don't think there's going to be additions in the front court. There may be some subtractions. We'll see. But then guard-wise, as I said before, I do think one of the starting guards isn't actually on the team yet this year. So, uh, or or not on this team right now. But Greg Guard and his staff will get to work on that. And there's a uh, a lot to do, and we'll we'll see officially at some point soon. I assume on uh, on Johnny Davis, and you know they'll have to move on from there. But you think about what we were talking about this time last year, Jesse. All the change, f- losing five seniors, the team's going to struggle. You're expecting Johnny Davis to take a jump. You're not really sure. Tyler Wall, you know, kind of a role player. Obviously, getting Brad back was was significant. You had. We, we knew of the rumbles within the locker room, so we, I think we ended up waiting a month <laughs> before doing the show uh, because there were, you know, things being said. This time, we know that there are going to be changes. We just don't know exactly exactly what they're going to look like. And, um, I mean, at this time last year, we thought the team was going to struggle. They ended up not struggling barely at all until here towards the end of the season and um, it was a good one. It was a good season, fun season to cover and fun season to pay attention to. And I hope fans enjoyed it. And I hope fans enjoyed listening to the show all, all, uh, all season. And we certainly won't be gone until next, uh, the next season gets going. But for now, we are going to, to step aside and say thank you for listening. Uh, Jesse, I'll let you do the same. It's been so much fun doing this for a fifth season. Uh, appreciate you co-hosting with me, Zach. And thanks to everybody for making the Swing what it is, and we'll talk to you again soon. Yes, we will. Jesse, thank you very much. Thanks, Zach. All right, there is Jesse Temple from The Athletic. You've been listening to The Swing.